0: You're listening to a 3CR podcast, created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthew.3cr.org.au.
1: Welcome to Women on the Line, a community radio national feminist current affairs program featuring the voices of women and gender diverse people produced at 3CR Community Radio in Nam Melbourne, and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm your host, Film Tran. Women on the Line acknowledges that this program is produced and presented on the land of the Rwandri people of the Kulin Nations, and that their sovereignty was never ceded. We acknowledge their elders past and present, as well as the traditional owners of the land on which you're hearing us from. On this week's episode, we chat with Daisy, a nam based family violence lawyer and queer parent of a newborn who has recently had to navigate the medical maternity system. Daisy joins us on the show to share with us her observations on the lack of continuous care for birthing people, the learning and unlearning that was required to avoid a traumatic birthing experience, and the similarities she noticed between the maternity system and her field of work. Daisy, thanks so much for joining us on Women on the Line. Could you please start by introducing yourself to our listeners? Yeah, sure.
0: Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so my name's Daisy. I work in the family violence legal sector in Melbourne here and I've recently had a baby. So I guess part of the reason that we're going to be having this chat today is just to talk about some of the things that I experienced and some of the observations I had um, throughout the birthing process and some of the, I guess, the similarities I saw in relation to some of the work I do as well.
1: Yeah. So let's start with your experience giving birth and, and navigating the healthcare system in that way. What were some of the things that really stood out for you?
0: One of the really interesting things for me is that I, so um, I'm queer, my partner and I went through IVF to conceive. And so that process in and of itself is inherently medical. So you you know, you're going in very regularly for checkups, and you have to, you know, be ovulating on a certain day, and then go through and go through a transfer, and so the in the process of IVF is, yeah, incredibly medical. And so, what I suppose we started to do, my partner and I, when um, I was able to fall pregnant, was think about ways in which we wanted the birth process and pregnancy process to be less medical, if that makes sense. So just, you know, and when I'm saying not less medical, I mean, less um, medical in the sense that, of course, we want to get checkups and, you know, have um, scans and all of those sorts of things and make sure that everything's going well. But I suppose have also the tune into my intuition and you know have have an experience of pregnancy and birth that women and birthing people have been experiencing you know since the dawn of time as they say and i really wanted to figure out a way to to do that in a way that was safe safe for me safe for the baby safe for my partner and i suppose what happened along the way of that journey was a lot of understanding that the system in how it is now and probably post-COVID as well, it's probably gotten a lot worse, has really made it quite difficult, I think, for women to have the experience that I sort of thought we were seeking.
1: Yeah. So can you talk to that point a bit more? Was it how things were run or the conversations that were being had, whether to you and to your partner or just around you? that made it feel like it wasn't what you thought it would be
0: yeah so I think one of the first things I'll say like obviously I'm not I don't work in the in the field so this is something I've observed as like someone going through the system the medical system or the maternity system and when I first sort of started looking into into it all one of the things that comes up really regularly is this idea of continuity of care. So seeing the same midwife or seeing the same doctor or seeing the same person throughout your pregnancy journey um, as being one of the ways in which the most optimal health outcomes for mother and baby or parents and parents as well can be achieved. And so in Melbourne, like right now, it's really, really, really difficult to get continuity of care. So unless you pay for it essentially. And so it's a really interesting dichotomy, I think, because we do have this fantastic free healthcare system under Medicare that compared to the US and you'll hear lots of people saying, wow, like we're so lucky. Like I went into the hospital and gave birth and didn't have to pay for anything. And like, that's absolutely true. But equally what's happening is that women going through the public system, are not seeing the same person at all. Then I didn't see a midwife until I, w- I saw, I think I we saw a midwife under the public system once at the start and then once at the end. Whereas the, the research, international research will say that seeing a midwife and seeing the same midwife throughout leads to such far better birth outcomes. And so what what we would what would happen is you go in. You, someone gets, your, you know, your document, they look at you, okay, yep, here's these, all of these sorts of things, and you start churning through as if you're, as if you're any other sort of, I guess, government system that, you know, it, it almost, felt, and I think for me, which we'll probably get to a bit later in the interview, but I, it almost felt like any other thing. It felt like you were lining up to get Your passport done, or you were lining up to go to some other government body to do something, and that's when we started sort of thinking, we only want to have one one child, and this is like a once in a lifetime opportunity where I've that we've gone through so much to get to this point. I kind of don't want to just be sitting here being treated like a cog in the machine. And I was, was I was probably about halfway through the pregnancy when I we started really looking into other options that were available to people that could potentially achieve that better outcome for us. But that comes at a cost, which shouldn't be the case.
1: Yeah, it's interesting you said just now, Daisy, that it's something that internationally the research says is something that's really crucial for the health and well-being of the child and the parents, everyone involved in that process. And yet that's something that is perhaps seen as a luxury here um, for people who can afford to pay in order to receive that care and I imagine as well being a queer parent who's wanting to go through IVF or or the process of of giving birth or someone who doesn't speak English or it just creates more and more um, for those Um, people.
0: Absolutely and one of the so I think at um, one of the public hospitals here at there, there's a couple of programs that you you can get into and it, feel, it literally feels like you're like, I was on the edge of my seat waiting for the call to see if we got into the elusive program, which allows for continuity of care. And in the end, the reason that we weren't in that program was because I had asthma and anxiety. And so talking to some of the um, doctors, I was like, oh, who gets into this program? Because, you know, like a lot of people are going to have, different sorts of like co you know coexisting health conditions and things like that and even the doctor was like oh like it's so hard to get into and you know talking to other people at our parents group it's like a this elusive cool thing that someone like may or may not get into and so yeah I just think also being a queer queer family and having those um, coexisting health conditions to me, that would make you probably more, shouldn't you be more likely then to get the continuity of care to lead to those better health outcomes? But it doesn't seem like it's the case. And I think one of the reasons for that is probably because of the level of being risk averse that, you know, we definitely were um, confronted with a lot. And that's fantastic. Like I'm absolutely so thankful for the availability of all of these options you know and all of those interventions and the interventions are things like having an induction or having you know a forceps birth or a cesarean and those things they're fantastic things that we have and once you sort of learn about them and when they're necessary anybody would be grateful that we have those those things available to us but the level to which they're being used is not necessarily correlating with the need. And that's that's something that I was coming across in my research a lot. And interestingly, I think because I'm a lawyer and I have the capacity to read research and to look into things and it became a really sort of clear choice for us that we needed to, to have our own continuity of care, which meant hiring a private midwife to see throughout the rest of the pregnancy process. And so many people can't afford that or so many people can't even get to the point of where I got in my research to even understand why that was the most important thing for us to do. And I think the other problem is as well is that having these conversations, it can there's there's a sort of a polarity going on where there's a group of, you know, maybe like, Instagram influencers who talk about not not having any contact with the medical system and having a free birth and those sorts of things. And that's kind of not what I'm talking about. Like having continuity of care could mean seeing the midwife and going into the hospital and going into the doctor's surgery often and having checks often. It's not about opting out of any any sort of modern things that we know about birth it's actually about having someone there with you who you trust who's listening to you who's who's seeing how you are this week who's monitoring this thing because that's what's leading to to people having a better birth and i think i should also say i probably should have mentioned this at the start but my birth or the birth of my of our daughter was easily one of the most incredible experiences of my entire life and it was shaped completely and utterly by us essentially dedicating. It felt like we had dedicated almost like a full-time job, you know, over the last couple of months before I gave birth to my partner and I to ensuring that I didn't have a traumatic birth. And so to me, that's just completely and utterly unfair on on all of women and birthing people to have the bare minimum of not having a traumatic birth, the level of work that that went into it.
1: Across these stolen lands, now called Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line, highlighting a range of gender non-conforming and women voices broadcast on the community radio network. We've been speaking to Daisy, A arm-based family violence lawyer and queer parent of a newborn who has recently had to navigate the medical maternity system. Daisy is on the show this week to share with us her observations on the lack of continuous care for birthing people, the learning and unlearning that was required to avoid a traumatic birthing experience, and the similarities she noticed between the maternity system and her field of work. I want to go back to what you were saying about doing all this work to not have a traumatic Mm. birthing experience Um, and first touch on you know what you were saying with regards to the medical system it's not like it's not advocating for no interaction Mm. with the medical system but like you were saying that being able to have regular people in your life or through that process to ensure that you don't have to repeat your story 100 times to different people, feel like you're introducing yourself every single time because that, I imagine, is incredibly exhausting and not something that you want to have to do multiple, multiple times during, during that whole process. So it's about having relationships with people who are responsible for your care that you can trust and can guide you through it so that it doesn't feel like you're starting over and over again that's exactly right and it's also because this
0: this experience you know when when you're when you're pregnant and you're going through certainly i would imagine your fir- your first pregnancy it's absolutely mind blowing like you've got a human growing inside of you and so you kind of also want to have those conversations with somebody who understands that you're feeling like that and that you're not not being treated as if, you know, it's just an everyday thing and that person's got to see 17 other people on their list today and they've got, you know, four main factors that they need to check off. And I think exactly what you were saying is where I started to get these interesting observations around a similarity to the family violence legal sector and this um, maternity sector, I suppose, because, you know, in in a really similar vein in family violence legal world, we know that having the same lawyer throughout your experience leads to better outcomes for those exact reasons that you highlighted, not having to tell your story again over and over, having somebody who, you know, you're able to sort of just have a familiarity with, like ha- having that familiarity with somebody makes it so so much easier to be vulnerable and towards the end of pregnancy you are a little bit vulnerable, like there's changes to your body you're not sure was that something I don't know like you know the doctor's recommending this like is this the best course of action for me you know you know this th- there's all sorts of things so having someone um that knows you and you can essentially just sort of lean on them was towards the end of my experience having hired the private midwife in the end that was imperative. I mean, we were able to, I was texting her towards the end, you know, asking her questions and things like that. And I just, yeah, I think that that should, that should be available to every person who's pregnant.
1: I wanted to touch on something you said earlier about the amount of work and effort and research Mm -hmm. that you and your partner put into ensuring that the process of giving birth was not a traumatic one. And it sounds like all the work that you did put in, you know, led to really positive results. I wondered if you could talk us through that a bit more in terms of the learning or unlearning that you had to do in order for it not to be a stressful event that would lead to more trauma.
0: I guess for me, I've had experiences with the medical system previously, you know, with with different health related issues. And I think, again, like a lot of this is post-COVID, but knowing internally like, oh, something's, you know, really wrong here and going to emergency and then saying like, no, I think you're fine and sending you home and then having to go back the next day and those sorts of things. that Those kinds of experiences in that I've had in the past had led us to think about, okay, well, what's it going to look like if I'm pregnant and, you know, I'm feeling like something's wrong or or something's not wrong and medical professionals or doctors as uh, you know suggesting particular pathways or courses of action and how we would go about that because I guess one of the one of the really difficult things to talk to people about when you when you are having conversations about this topic is people sort of like but why why would the health system want to make a woman's experience traumatic or make a person who's giving birth experience traumatic but I don't think that it's as simple as that. Like, of course, I don't think anybody wants that. That's not what anybody wants. But what happens is is that there's like a bit of a perfect storm of patriarchy, overworked health system, men in positions of high power, and I think like they make up a high percentage of Obstetricians and things like that, midwives being traditionally a woman's role. So their midwives not being listened to as much, but having a lot of the information inherently within their sort of practice and the tension between all the. So when we started to look into all of this, it was so overwhelming at the start. I was like, how am I going to even do this? I don't want to think about it at all. And then, yeah, the unlearning sort of came for me about thinking about, okay, well, you know, I'm a staunch feminist. And I was able to unlearn a lot about the patriarchy when I was young and first looking into this sort of thing. And so it sort of had to take a similar path where I was like, am I actually willing to accept that a doctor might suggest to me that just for context, I was overdue nearly two weeks at my due date. The doctors started to you know, suggest a medical induction and everything that I had read, I knew they were going to suggest it because that's what they do and everything that I had read about the cascade of interventions and, you know, what could happen if I took that intervention, if you know, and I had to think, okay, it's a really difficult place to be like, I think I know what's best for me and my body and my family and my baby, but to have somebody in a position of power, not even suggesting otherwise, but sort of giving you an option that makes you feel like you could be doing the wrong thing if you don't, if you don't take it. And for us kind of navigating that tension and doing that unlearning involved extensive conversations around like what, what risk factor, you know, if, if, if if there was ever anything actually wrong with my, with my baby or any risk, I would have done anything that anybody told me to do. But so it was about having knowledge and information that would allow me to make a decision properly that wasn't based on the hospital wanting you to get in and out. And it's so awful to say that because I feel like, of course, you will do literally anything to keep your baby safe and to have, you know, a safe birth. But we should also be thinking about how to a woman can avoid trauma. And I in that, in that situation. And so, yeah, having to navigate those two tensions was really difficult because I think we're all sort of predisposed to listen to authority in different ways. And, you know, you're in a really vulnerable position and then somebody is saying something to you and it's, it's something so simple as just kind of questioning, like, okay, is there any reason that you're offering me that? Like, is it, is it hospital policy? And, the unlearning involved just the tiniest bit of questioning.
1: Being able to question, being able to ask questions hmm. yeah. in, a, in, a, in a medical setting, knowing what questions to ask or even feeling like you can do that. Because like yes. you said, yes. you know, everyone's been taught through various institutions that they go through in their life, school, the healthcare system. That you don't question authority. And if someone in power tells you to do something, then you do it without really asking yeah. why. So I imagine that would have taken a lot of research and a lot of courage. And for so many people, that wouldn't even be something to consider because how else are you supposed to know that you can do that?
0: Exactly. Exactly. And that's and for me, like I'm a I'm a pretty um, you know, my my work and my whole ethos of, of of who I am revolves around like feminism and you know those sorts of principles like anti-establishment principles and I still found it really difficult to have to advocate for myself in those spaces and when when I was doing my birth plan with um the midwife I was asking her questions like could I put this on and can I put this on and she had to sort of stop and put the Pen and paper down, and she's like, "You can literally put whatever you want on here. It's your birth and your body, and it's like even in that process, if there's so much going on, like this perfect storm of like there being authority, there being patriarchy, there being you know risks and like guilt as a as a woman or a birthing person that's already starting. You know, this all of these factors coming in where you start to." you you don't even know it but it's eroding at your power and your voice in the process and what's super important as well is to remember that the person you know your partner or whoever you're choosing to be your birthing partner like they're also going to be confronted with this because when you're in the space of actually giving birth you're not able like I I couldn't speak towards the end of it so my partner had to be so on the same page as me, as me which she absolutely was to be able to navigate these systems and i i i had my baby in the hospital but i was home for a, a large majority of the of the of the birth and then yeah went to the hospital for the last couple of hours but my partner had to be also as aware if not more in some ways as as to what i wanted so that she could navigate that system too
1: To, I guess, end our discussion today, I wanted to ask you what you'd like to see in terms of changes uh, so that pregnant people who are going through this process feel cared for and supported for. I mean, you alluded to these things throughout the entire interview, but I was wondering if you could summarise just briefly for us. What are some things you'd like to see in the future? So I think
0: um, for sure, We need to be thinking about having continuity of care or having, you know, a single midwife or a group of midwives even available to people who are giving birth. And that should be an absolute bare minimum. And it is in in some other countries around the world. It It should be brought in under Medicare. It should be fully prioritized as an option to women and birthing people. We should not be seeing, you know, 10, 15 different people throughout a pregnancy. It's just absolutely unacceptable. And- we know it leads to better outcomes for the parent and the baby. So it makes absolutely no sense that it's, it's not being done. And I think also just, you know, I think we, we absolutely are so lucky to live in Australia where we have Medicare and we've got access to all these really good health, um, you know, systems, but I think also just not getting complacent about that because there are still, drastic improvements to be made. And it's not good enough to just, you know, walk out of an experience. Like it. what what I wanted was to not be traumatized by my birth. What I got was like far beyond that, but that that's not acceptable. We should be aiming for far higher than not being traumatized by our birth. And so we should be questioning these systems and we should be advocating for better you know, access to these kinds of services that we know make a difference, and we shouldn't just be being complacent because we do have it on Medicare and we are lucky enough to go to a, a public hospital.
1: Yeah, for sure. And just to add to that, it's it's having really high expectations and therefore providing excellent care for all people, regardless of whether they're, you know, they're in a cis- heterosexual exactly. couple or they're a queer couple or you know, they're yeah. First Nations they yeah. rural regional areas yeah,
0: absolutely and you know one thing i i will add as well is that through throughout my life the only time i've ever this is the only the ivf and um this private midwife is the only time i've ever accessed anything outside of of medicare and the level of difference <laughs> was so drastic and i you know i was always one of those people that was hopeful that that wasn't wasn't the case like but unfortunately what we're seeing now, and we're seeing that, you know, in a variety of areas of of you know society, not just the medical system, but it it we are we are sort of gearing towards that like American style of a society where when you you're paying for something, it unfortunately is getting like you're getting a better service. And that's just so unbelievably unacceptable for a for a place like Australia and Victoria where we we're not it shouldn't be
1: like that. I'd like to say thank you to you Daisy for sharing your experience with us today on women on the line it's not easy having to tell your story and talk about the traumatic things that happened, especially as a pregnant person and and going through that uh, journey but thank you so much for sharing your insights today I'm sure there are a lot of listeners who would find this really relatable or very interesting and let's hope that things change soon thank you so much for having me that was Daisy speaking to us about what changes she'd like to see from the medical maternity system in the future. That's all for Women on the Line today. We would love to hear any comments or thoughts you have about the program. So please send us an email at at gmail.com or give us a call at 3CR on 03 9419 8377. That's 03 9419 8377. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Women on the Line is a national feminist current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women and gender non-conforming broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The theme music for Women on the Line is by Ripley Kavara. All Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from www.3cr.org.au forward slash Women on the Line. I'm Fung Tran, tune in to Women on the Line next week on your community radio station.